is the world's largest gathering of the rich and powerful really worth the time and the money. For us South Africans, beset by rising food prices, swimming in debt and fumbling in the dark courtesy of ESCOM, does the annual Davos gathering really matter? This is no ordinary Wednesday. It's an in-depth look at the events and trends moving the markets, shaping the economy and changing the game. I'm Jeremy Maggs and a very warm welcome to our special Davos 2022 edition. Now, after a two-year hiatus due to COVID-19, the world's leaders, titans of business and other luminaries have once again gathered in the Swiss resort town of Davos for the World Economic Forum. This year's forum, later than usual, has its theme, History at a Turning Point. No question, we're living through a historic time, a war raging in Europe, sharply rising inflation, supply chain disruptions, and to quote IMF Director Kristalina Georgieva, a global economy facing its biggest test since the Second World War. Our guests today are both on the ground in Davos. Investec's Head of Corporate and Institutional Banking, Lorenz von Rendsburg, and Dr. Mark Kahn, Investec Global Head of People and Organization and Executive for ESG. To both of you gentlemen, a very warm welcome. All right, let's uh, start with this then. Another gathering. I understand a little trimmed this year. Some of the usual faces not attending, some events not happening. And obviously a shorter list of guests and even the snow is conspicuously absent. Lawrence, let me start with you. The gathering, uh, is it actually worth the time and the money spent? Oh, Jeremy, we spoke about the fact that it's smaller. That's a different time of the year. It was a standard and event that's changed the dynamic a little bit. There's still a lot of people here. Over 2,500 delegates, over 430 sessions. I've attended some amazing talks. We had the CEO of Citibank, the CEO of Bank of America, CEO of Accenture, Verizon, Nokia. The one session, they had a group of CEOs. They employ one and a half million people collectively between them. So there's still lots of interesting discussions, very thoughtful discussions. I think there's still a lot of value here. Mark, it's the first in-person meeting, as I mentioned, after two years. I'm going to assume that a lot of the conversation is about the pandemic, that it would still be an overarching issue, or is the world moving on? Now, this is a great question, Jeremy. I mean, funny enough, the pandemic is referred to consistently on all the different sessions I've been to as something that has happened that is now in the past, without a doubt. I mean, I haven't had a single commentary about it as if it's live. But here in Davos, although they've been pretty strict with the testing regime to get in here, even though Switzerland has dropped it, it's as if there's no COVID at all. And in terms of the topics, it's what did we learn from it and what are we going to do in the new world going forward? And one of the learnings, Mark, is this thing called the Great Resignation. What exactly is it? Why is it happening? And what solutions are being discussed? So the Great Resignation is a term used to refer to the you know, sharp increase in attrition of people moving out of their jobs to look for the grass is greener on the other side, either to go it alone or to go to a different organization for more money. We've saw it's a statistical anomaly toward the end of the extreme part of it, and they call it the Great Resignation. And, and companies across the board, particularly in the uh, developed world, saw extraordinary amounts of people leaving. So that's the Great Resignation. There's few talks on it. One in particular that I attended and a couple of points around that is that there's a view that it really was a sort of one-off event and that it's all, we were already seeing a return to previous levels of attrition, which were much lower, and 
in particular, there's uh, this concept of the great regret that's starting to emerge now where we're seeing a lot of people who moved just for the money, not because they were necessarily unhappy and now regret it. And across several companies, there's an increase in people wanting to go back to where they were before or regretting the decisions they've made and now they're stuck. And we're probably going to see more of the regret from the great resignation when we you know, get the sort of outlook going forward. We use some sort of negative outlook, possible recession. Here and there, there may even be some you know, downsizing of headcount. And then, of course, you have increased cost of living. So there is potentially a kind of crunch coming where people have moved. It didn't work out for them. And now they're sort of out on a limb. That's some of the concern that was raised. Lawrence, let's move on from regret and resignation to the word resilience, if we can. That was also the theme of this breakfast that you attended the morning of the taping of this podcast. Again, the the metal of leadership has changed considerably, hasn't it? Absolutely. And again, linking into Mark, what we had Jane Fraser from Citibank and we had the Verizon CEO, head of McKinsey, and then a moderator from uh, Wall Street Journal and Dow Jones. And they spoke about this fact that companies built resilience under the pandemic, spoke about how they dealt with the crisis. Verizon CEO said he had a morning call with all of his staff every single day, 12 to 12.30, did that for nine months. He said he, at times he had nothing to talk about. He just connected and he just spoke to his people and spoke about his home and spoke about his his family. And and then they spoke about the fact that from that, you're dealing with a crisis, you're dealing with immediate emergency actions. But then how do you build resilience from that point going forward in your business? How do you build resilience in your people, in your process, in your culture to deal with the next crisis? Might that be economic? Might that be a war in Russia and Ukraine? So again, very interesting discussion. Lawrence, while you've been talking to me, I've just done a little calculation. You are sitting 2,098 kilometers away from Kiev in Ukraine. No doubt the war is looming large over proceedings. What's the sense of how all of this is going to play out? My first comment would be that Davos unashamedly is very pro-Ukraine. We had uh, President Zelensky doing the opening address. We had the two Klitschko brothers, the two boxers were in the audience. The chairman of WEF, he stood up and he really supported Ukraine. So we, so we had that speech. There's a Russian, um, Russia house here in the main street on the promenade where that was Russia house last year. It is now the Russia war crime house where they've got footage. They've got some red banners on, on there. So the mood here is really very pro-Ukraine. They're talking about how they can support, what can they do emergency funds, then there are no Russian delegates allowed here. Basically, they've closed Davos to them. How that plays out, there's some talk about that, but I, I think I think more about what happens when the war's done. How will the, the rest of the world assist Ukraine? Emergency funds, as I said. Zelensky yesterday said about how do we do sanctions going forward? Proactive sanctions. So when something like Russia happens, you don't do sac- sanctions six months later. How do you deal with it more decisively up front? And he talks about you're protecting Ukraine, but you, you're protecting the next incident, wherever that's going to happen. I mean, just to add to Lawrence's point, Zelensky put forward, he said that Ukraine has got a proposal for potential future aggression from any country towards any other country where you pre-organize a combination of military support, sanctions, and a range of kind of economic mechanisms that are ready to go at the touch of a button when there's a moment of aggression. And I thought that was very interesting possible learning. And he was kind of saying to the audience, look, we can create a sort of mechanism to reduce geopolitical threats 
that can stand across nations into the future if we learn from how we did this incorrectly. So very interesting to see how that plays out. And yet, you know, got a standing ovation. And it's very interesting because the president of Switzerland opened the address before he spoke and spoke you know, in very clear terms about Switzerland's historical neutrality and the way in which it has actually taken a position. And it was hard for Switzerland to do this, but there was no question it was the right thing to do, to take a position against this invasion and in support of the Ukraine. I think the world has, has definitely changed. There's no question. We are going to continue this conversation in just a moment. I'd like to remind you that a new episode of No Ordinary Wednesday drops every fortnight. Don't miss it. Subscribe to Investec Focus Radio SA wherever you get your podcasts. If you like the channel, please rate us. Let's move on now as I am in conversation with uh, Lawrence van Rensburg and Mark Kahn, who are both on the ground at the World Economic Forum in Davos. Mark, let's get back to you. Uh, another fascinating discussion that you've attended to, and in many ways that's might very well be the most important conversation. It's the way of work in the future, the new skills that society needs to adopt to make sure that uh, we have a sustainable future. What have you discerned? Excellent debate was had, and they were, you know, just get right to it. I mean, they categorized three core skill sets for the future. They call them care skills, green skills, and digital skills. And then they look at the kind of competencies that underlie those which were critical thinking and interpersonal or emotional competencies. You know, let me just sort of break this down because I, I think it's useful for people to get a sense of the actual jobs of the future. So the ones that were highlighted, they were long lists. So I've just picked a few because I thought they were interesting. Under the care skills, the jobs of the future are going to be focused around home care, geriatrics, because we've got an aging population that will be needing more and more care, nursing, and then psychological support services were seen to be uh, significant. And one that I wasn't really familiar with, so I looked into it, person-centered planning, which is looking at engineering, all sorts of city-related plans and so forth, which follow a person-centered philosophy. Very interesting. So those sort of, you know, care industry. The green skills picked a few of them, clearly renewables. All industries associated with renewables are going to have an enormous amount of resourcing needs with lots of different kind of professional and academic concerns. Big area. Ecotourism, huge. And then they talk to green logistics. So it's the way about moving renewable energy around the world and, you know, renewable products and services. And then finally, waste management. So that's in the last set. Digital skills is probably the most obvious people would have gone for. Artificial intelligence, anything associated with AI, cybersecurity, digital marketing, and obviously data science. So those were the sort of big, big uh, pieces for the future. Just to link into that, I, I attended a session on the digital economy and to link into Mark's final comment, just about the kind of skills for this digital economy going forward. The head of Accenture, the head of Nokia, talking about the metaverse, talking about the, the industrial metaverse. And Accenture now, their the new staff um, get given access to their metaverse, their own metaverse. They get training, they get induction there, they get some skills transfer. They view some uh, Accenture training within their metaverse. So really it's becoming a very different economy out there. I mean, just to connect to that, I think if you start to look at the digital competencies, the metaverse, the whole technological revolution, there are sort of two 
big topics. One is where technology is taking us into the digital world. We all know that that's an obvious one. But the other just as big one is we're becoming more and more human and human connection is seen as being core to the future. So there's a very interesting kind of combination of tremendous shift into the digital world, but at the same time, a deepening process of connecting as human beings. We had the McKinsey CEOs, big CEOs. They were talking about how they no longer call them soft skills. She was saying that she doesn't like the term soft skills because she's found that the the soft skills we used to call soft skills are now the hard skills for resilient leaders. And at the same time, you look at all the care skills. So that's starting to emerge for me as a kind of central theme here. Would be, it's like high touch, high tech, which is an invest tech concept, is actually true for the future. More human, more personal, and yet more technological, more digital at the same time. Yeah, that description of soft skills tends often to devalue exactly what they are and how important they are. But a question to you both, and Lawrence, maybe you pick it up first of all. All these future ideas that you're talking about are very, very exciting. But is this all rooted in the world of practicality or a lot of this discussion, is it simply blue skying it? No, I think I think what struck me is that we talk about some of these metaverses, an example. We talk about it quite theoretically. What's happening in the world now is that there are real practical use cases, companies using it. I'll give you the one example. The one um, CEO, the Nokia guy said, is that what they call the industrial metaverse. So they've developed the ability now where engineers can access the, the industrial metaverse, make adjustments in that, and that would then, the same thing would happen in a real factory. So he said, let's say we have a nuclear plant and we have an issue in the nuclear plant and we don't want to send engineers in because of radiation. We can go into the industrial metaverse, go in there, do what we need to do, and the same things would happen in the factory through robotics and, and AI and the like. Now that, for me, is real practical, and they're doing it. They've tested it. They're saying if they build something, they build it in the industrial metaverse, they're testing it, they're running tolerances, hours, and then once they've done that, then they build a practical, real thing now. Those are real practical uh, examples of what's happening out there, Jeremy. Mark, what about you? Is this rooted in reality going forward, do you think? Absolutely. Uh, you know, one of the things we haven't mentioned, but, you know, a tremendous amount of the conference material here is around ESG and sustainability. And there is no question that the concerns associated with economics and the more commercial side of the world is inherently entangled with the needs on the ground. And a huge amount of the discussion here is about what actions can actually be taken to move the dial forward. And it doesn't matter whether you're talking about, you know, people, talent, where you're talking about, you know, increasing productivity, efficiencies, effectiveness, leadership. Every single one of these talks is, you know, they give actual examples of what they have done, what they've learned, they're sharing, but at the same time, what we still need to do. And, you know, almost nine out of 10 of these has been rooted in practicality. Well, that's good to know. Let's bring it back now to the here and now. Lawrence, back to May 2022. Rising inflation, increasing market volatility, even before Russia's aggression. Uh, the war obviously hasn't helped. What's the general sense at Davos about global economic recovery? I think it is being cautious, being careful. We're in a very volatile environment, price shocks, um, inflation. I do get the feeling, Jeremy, that I think we've seen probably the peak of inflation. We've seen Ukraine, we've seen the food prices, we've seen logistics, supply chain, we've seen the oil price move. I think the view here is that we're probably now going to see inflation um, reducing, normalizing, 
the U.S. has led in terms of interest rate hikes. South Africa did, did a 50-point hike. But I think the overall theme for me would be cautious. Markets are moving, lots of volatility that we haven't had. There was a stat that in the S&P 500 from a year ago, it's 21% up, but the Chinese stocks in the S&P 500 are 22% down. So you've seen lots of moves, lots of moves in the global markets. I know the one question is, are we going into recession or stagflation? I think it all leads from inflation. The view would be that the world's got to get inflation under control. Are we going to go back to the you know, the oil price inflation shocks we had in the 70s? I think we're much better prepared. The, the central banks have balance sheets. They've got firepower. They can hike significantly to deal with that. That would be my assessment. Mark, so many issues to talk about, but I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about a conversation around climate change. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. One can sort of swing from states of optimism into deep pessimism from one talk to the next. So let me just start with some of the more pessimistic and then I'll go to the more optimistic. I was in a session with Mark Carney and Layla from the JC and a few others, and just a couple of statistics which are more unfortunate statistics. When they do an analysis of assets globally, only 13% of the assets globally are linked to the Sustainable Development Goals as we speak. And less than 50% of companies recognize sustainable investment as mainstream. It's still seen as you know something alternative on the side. And when you start to look at what we need to do in terms of you know moving the dial, the capital flows have got to be a lot more strongly linked to sustainable investing. And we're a, we're a far way off I actually didn't realize the statistics were that poor. 13% seemed rather low to me, but it turns out that that is the case. That was the negative. On the positive side, there are a whole range of mechanisms being put in place. For example, tax incentives for more sustainable behavior from corporates are being considered by several countries, and those should move the dial significantly. But at the same time, we've got a little bit of a crunch because if you look at financial resources, firstly, countries have been hit by having to look after their people and their institutions and businesses during the pandemic and now the geopolitical conflict in the Ukraine is also straining resources, you know, financial resources, not the least of which. So it looks like it's difficult to see where the sport's going to come from. And then last but not least, on the pessimistic side, if you were to have a look at the good work that had been done with regard to renewable energy, we now see a swing back to gas and oil and defense spending because of the geopolitical conflict. And now you have a lot of people saying, oh, well, you know, we can't look after the climate because we've got a war to fight and we've got more pressing issues to deal with. And that kind of narrative is very unhelpful. Probably more pessimistic as a whole, but there are hundreds of ideas and plans to move the dial. And everyone's doing it. I sat next to a, a Chris Kemp, who's the CEO of Astra, which is the third biggest space company in the world. And they're looking at some extraordinary technological opportunities, which could change planetary life. But you know, obviously, these things are always seem one step away, but they're always out of reach from an energy point of view. But the important thing here is to take note of the ideas. And if we just act on a fraction of them, hopefully there will be some beneficiation down the line. Lawrence, I want to end the conversation with this. Let's bring it home to South Africa if we can. Is there real benefit for this country? And I'm assuming, given that a South African delegation is in attendance, the idea there is to sell us as an investment destination. But uh, that's a tough job at the moment. Yeah, Jeremy, so we do have a delegation here. I attended a breakfast with Minister Kubai and Brand South Africa. 
It's a smaller delegation. Uh, they also spoke about the timing. They spoke about the fact that Jan was a date set in the diaries and now some intergovernmental meetings and trips that have been scheduled. So it's smaller. They would like to have a bigger presence next year. We'll have a South African House next year. But yes, uh, the minister spoke about the fact that we have to represent South Africa. We have to bring the South African uh, story. There are a number of business leaders here. We do have to represent South Africa here. There are many, you know, Ukraine is now top of the agenda. And there are many countries that are clamoring for the same space. Um, but South Africa is well positioned. If you, if you look at commodities, if you look at physical location, our geographic location, we have to keep on spreading the vision. Gentlemen, to both of you, thank you very much indeed. I know that you've got a pile of work still ahead of you as the conversations uh, continue. Speaking to us from Davos in Switzerland at the World Economic Forum, Lawrence von Rendsburg and Dr. Mark Kahn, thank you very much indeed uh, for your time. It's been a fascinating interchange. Thanks, Jeremy. Thank you. Please join us again on the 8th of June as we continue to explore money trends shaping your world. If you haven't yet added us to your podcast feed, search for Investec Focus Radio Essay wherever you get your podcasts and hit that subscribe button. Until next time, goodbye from me, Jeremy Maggs, and the entire Focus Radio team. The views expressed are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily represent the views of the firm and should not be taken as advice or recommendations. Investec Limited and subsidiaries, authorized financial service providers, registered credit providers, and long-term insurer.